afternoon, everybody. I was uh, just now enjoying the sound of the rain. It's nice, isn't it? Sorry that I have to talk. Thank you for coming to sit today. To spend a day uh, just sitting here without trying to do anything special. Uh, this is such a great thing to do, such a wise thing to do. I have no idea why you are doing this. <laughs> what kind of crazy idea makes you think that this is a good thing to do? Uh, but it is. These days, uh, we have statistical research and we have scientific instruments. And maybe they have figured out that uh, doing this is good for you. It's good for your health. It expands your brain. It settles you down. It improves your relationships. It helps you to cope with the crazy world. I'm sure, I'm sure all that is true. But the true uh, virtue of zazen is far vaster than that. I think that what really happens is that zazen itself you know, grabs you by the scruff of the neck and drags you into the zendo. And realizing that you are a stubborn person who harbors the illusion that you are in total command of your own life, concocts for you some plausible idea to make it seem reasonable to come and waste an entire day doing something as utterly unproductive as this. Because Zazen is great and vast beyond anything we could imagine. And the virtue of doing it surpasses our wildest dreams. I have a really close friend who lives in Maine. I've known him for a long, long time. He's a wonderful human being, a very wise man. And he's a therapist. So he hears every day about a lot of suffering. And he cares deeply about the world, and he follows the news every day. And he's more politically active than anybody else I know. 
and he finds himself in a big pickle because he's really going crazy with all the sorrow and all the despair because he cares so much he suffers a lot and I think we all have this question how do we survive this life without having to distract ourselves without closing down how do we pay attention to the suffering as suffering which means our own suffering as well as the suffering of the world really pay attention to it and still manage to have some happiness and to survive this life with some grace and you know who knows how to do that? Dave Chappelle <laughs> Dave Chappelle knows how to do that I love Dave Chappelle. Did you ever watch Dave Chappelle? He's a kind of a genius. He's, he's controversial, I guess, uh, because he's a comic, you know, and he's making fun of people all the time. And uh, he often, I'm sure, on purpose, uses language that upsets people. And, and I'm aware, you know, you do have to be careful about the language that you use. You don't want to hurt anybody inadvertently by the way you speak <laughs> recently uh, I was communicating with another friend of mine and I said well uh, one of our good friends recently committed suicide which happened he, he, he killed himself and that was really really upsetting and really really troubling and my friend wrote to me she said uh, you know, we don't say that anymore. We don't say committed suicide. Because to say it that way implies that the person somehow did this on purpose, that it was somehow a willful, blameworthy act, that it was a crime. We don't say anymore committed suicide. We say died by suicide. And my friend knows what she's talking about. She has herself often been suicidal and has helped a lot of people who have been suicidal so she said we don't say that we say died by suicide and, and she's right and so now I don't say anymore committed suicide I say died by suicide and I, I, I really do try to be careful in my language because I really don't want to hurt anybody and I know that language can be hurtful I, I have hurt people a lot with language without knowing I was doing it and, and I know that uh, I'm not always aware of, you know, the nuances of things and current usages, so probably I apologize to any of you that I've said things that might have hurt you and I didn't mean them that way, I'm sorry. Just the other day someone brought this to my attention. They said, I haven't talked to you for 12 years because of what you said 12 years ago and she told me what I said. I said, whoa. I forgot I said that. Anyway, Dave Chappelle says stuff like that all the time. And uh, I think that uh, unlike me, I'm just talking, you know, Dave Chappelle thinks very carefully about what he's saying. He crafts what he's saying carefully. 
And he's paying attention not only to the words, but also to how he says the words, his delivery, his, his tone of voice, the cadences of his speech, his facial expressions. And he's very precise, I'm sure, about how he says what he says. Now, the great genius of Dave Chappelle is that he's black. He's a black person. And this is not incidental to his comedy. In fact, the theme of everything he says has to do with that. More or less, he's telling us that because he is black in the world we live in, in America, he, see things, he sees things really differently. He is not living under the spell that most Americans live under. Because of who he is, he sees through that. Because he's been, like all black people here, and maybe everywhere where there are white people, he has been an object of discrimination and misunderstanding. So he sees the world differently than other people who have not had that experience. And, and a certain kind of truth is available to him that is not available to others. And, th and that's really the source of all of his commentary. And, I'll, and that's true, I think. On the other hand, Everyone, in one way or another, is subject to misunderstanding and discrimination. And everyone, in some way, is experiencing a version of what Dave Chappelle and other black people experience, which is why Dave Chappelle's comedy is not only for black people. Right? He's not only talking to black people, he's talking to everyone. And the difference is simply that black people and other people of color are people who have been discriminated against as a matter of course will be able to understand this truth intuitively and directly and white people and other people like that can harbor the illusion that this is not so for them. And, and that makes them suffer, too, in their own way. Anyway, Dave Chappelle, who happens to live in a small town in Ohio where there are almost no black people, <laughs> seems to understand this point very well. So all of this is just an introduction to some great words I want to quote to you from Dave Chappelle, <laughs> which, which he spoke at the end of a comedy routine he was giving on Saturday Night Live in 2020, when it was just after the election in which uh, our president, Joe Biden, was the victor. Dave Chappelle was on Saturday Night Live, and I actually watched the video of this. You can watch it too. And I typed the words. So this is pretty much exactly what Dave Chappelle said although I wish I could deliver the words in the way Dave Chappelle delivers them, I will not even try <laughs> to do that. 
so you have to imagine. Anyway, this is what he says at the very end of his routine. He says, remember that for the first time in the history of America, the life expectancy of white people is dropping because of heroin, because of suicide. All these white people in despair because they think nobody cares. Well, I know how that feels. I promise you, I know how that feels. If you're a police officer and you feel like you have a target on your back, you're appalled by the ingratitude that people have when you would risk your life to save them. Oh man, believe me, I know how that feels. Everybody knows how that feels. But here's the difference between you and me. You guys hate each other for that. And I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. I just hate that feeling. And that's what I fight through. And that's what I suggest you fight through. You've got to find a way to live your life. You've got to find a way to forgive one another. You've got to find a way to find joy in your existence in spite of that feeling. And if you can't do that, and here he, he waves his hands, like, come on over here. If you can't do that, Come and get these N-word lessons. He doesn't say N-word. You know, he, doesn't, he says a word that I can't say, but he says all the time. Come and get these N-word lessons. I'll, I'll school you, you know, I'll show you. And that's the end of his, then he walks off stage. Wise words, right? He's very wise. Don't we all know that feeling, that human feeling? Because that's the nature of being a person. To be a person is to be incomplete. To be a person is to need love, to need validation, because you are a separate, atomized being and you're all alone in this wide world. Now, that's actually not the truth. Actually, you are a Buddha. You are complete. And you are loved. And you're not alone in this wide universe. You are this wide universe. That's the truth. But you are conditioned not to feel that and not to know that. And that's why the Buddha was so intent 
on teaching not self or no self, or as we say in Zen, true self, because self is suffering. And we all must learn to go beyond that. If you are a person against whom society discriminates, and there are many such people, not only black people, this feeling of dishonor or lack of love can be very, very strong in you, and it can make you feel bitter, and you can think that the reason for it is the others who keep you down, who gain where you lose. And you can feel quite justified in hating those others. And one of the things that amazes me about our world now is that almost everybody now feels oppressed and discriminated against by others. It's unbelievable, you know. Liberal people think that the conservative people are prejudiced, but the conservative people are bitter and resentful because they feel that they are the ones being discriminated against. And they are fighting for their lives and their dignity. So Dave Chappelle is right. Everyone hates everyone else for this bad feeling that they blame on the other guy. But Dave Chappelle says, I don't hate anyone. Even though his whole life, you know. I, I actually got into the, what do they call it, the uh, rabbit hole. Yeah, the rabbit hole. And I saw a million Dave Chappelle videos. I saw one where he was 20 years old. One of his first appearances on the TV. And he was talking about he made it into a very comical thing about him trying to get a cab in New York City. He couldn't get a cab in New York City no, because he was black. Cab drives right by him. Dave Chappelle doesn't hate anybody. And I believe it when he says that. He doesn't hate anybody. He just hates that bad feeling, that human feeling of suffering. Just like the Buddha, he wants to understand suffering and overcome it. He doesn't want to hate and make the suffering worse. He wants to fight through it, as he says, and find some joy in his life. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we go beyond our resentment and our fear and our despair to find our true self that loves doesn't hate, and that really understands suffering, and that knows how to forgive, and how to find joy. I think the answer to this has to be, there's no way to do it. There's no way. Nobody can accomplish this. And yet, it can occur in us. We can't do it, but it can happen. 
in us. And when it does, we know that the only thing worth doing is to be of service to others and to be kind. When we sit in Zazen, our job is not to produce or correct anything. In fact, it might be that when we sit in Zazen, that's the only time when we're not trying to produce or correct something. Even in our dreams, you know, we're working out our lives. I had a dream, woke me up in the middle of the night, you know, and, and I'm trying to, trying to figure out my life, you know, and straighten it out in my dreams, but not in Zazen. In Zazen, we're not working anything out. We are simply sitting there in the exact mathematical center of the universe. We're just sitting there right in the middle of space and time and absolutely nothing is happening. No matter how poorly or how well we think we are doing Zazen, just to sit and to try as sincerely as we can simply to sit is all we need to do. And then the magic of Zazen will occur in the place where we are. And little by little by little, without our trying to do this, we will see how we can love and not hate, how we can support and not resent, and how we can appreciate this human life with all that it contains, the terrible as well as the magnificent. So you're here today means you're a wise person. Uh, you know, I sometimes think, you know, why, why don't I come in here and I'm the only one in here, you know? <laughs> no, but there's all of you here. Because you're wise human beings. Somehow, Zazen has grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and dragged you into the Zendo with whatever cockamamie reasons you think you have to be here. So we're in this together. Please continue. Devote yourself to your sitting. Just sit there and pay attention to your posture. Pay attention to your breathing. Just listen to sound. Just be with whatever occurs as you sit and let it go. It's so simple. And what a relief. I guess uh, some of you know that we've been reading a Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, uh, in our 
Practice Period, Suzuki Roshi's wonderful book. And I, I might have mentioned before that when this book came out in 1971, it was really unusual because in it, Suzuki Roshi doesn't quote a lot of Zen masters or speak in a kind of koan-like, Zenish sort of speech, like all the Zen books up until that time did. Instead, he speaks quite plainly and straightforwardly about our practice and about our life. He really wanted us to practice because he knew that we needed to practice, that it was the only thing that would be able to see us through these hard times and all hard times. Sometimes when I read the book, and I've read it many times, this book that's been so popular continuously for all these years, I'm surprised at how unspectacular it is, you know? <laughs> he keeps saying, you know, over and over again, just practice, just live your life, just be yourself. It's not a big deal. Don't do anything else. You don't need to do anything else. And yet, people like to hear that. I don't know why. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm going to end my talk with an extended quotation from his book. I don't need to say anything about this. I'll just read it for you. Uh, this is from part two, and the headline is uh, Zen and Excitement. Of course, he says the opposite. Don't get excited about Zen, you know. Zen and excitement. My master died when I was 31. Although I wanted to devote myself just to Zen practice at a Heiji monastery, I had to succeed my master at his temple. It was a small, relatively small uh, community temple without a lot of zazen and stuff. I became quite busy, and being so young, I had many difficulties. These difficulties gave me some experience, but it meant nothing compared with the true, calm, serene way of life. It is necessary for us to keep the constant way. Zen is not some kind of excitement, but concentration on our usual everyday routine. If you become too busy and excited, your mind becomes rough and ragged. This is not good. If possible, try to be always calm and joyful and keep yourself from excitement. Usually, we become busier and busier day by day, year by year, especially in our modern world. If we revisit old familiar places after a long time, we are astonished by the changes. It cannot be helped. But if we become interested in some excitement or in our own change, we will become completely involved in our busy life and we will be lost.
But if your mind is calm and constant, you can keep yourself away from the noisy world, even though you are in the middle of it. In the middle of noise and change, your mind will be quiet and stable. Zen is not something to get excited about. Some people start to practice Zen just out of curiosity, and they only make themselves busier. If your practice makes you worse, it's ridiculous. I think if you try to do Zazen once a week, that will make you busy enough. Do not be too interested in Zen. When young people get excited about Zen, they often give up schooling and go to some mountain or forest in order to sit. That kind of interest is not true interest. Just continue in your calm, ordinary practice, and your character will be built up. If your mind is always busy, there will be no time to build, and you will not be successful, particularly if you work too hard on it. Building character is like making bread. You have to mix it little by little, step by step, and moderate temperature is needed. You know yourself quite well, and you know how much temperature is needed. You know exactly what you need. But if you get too excited, you will forget how much temperature is good for you, and you will lose your way. This is very dangerous. Buddha said the same thing about the good ox driver. The driver knows how much load the ox can carry, and he keeps the ox from being overloaded. You know your way and your state of mind. Don't carry too much. Buddha also said that building character is like building a dam. You should be very careful in making the bank. If you try to do it all at once, water will leak from it. Make the bank carefully, and you will end up with a very good dam for the reservoir. Our unexciting way of practice may appear to be very negative, but that's not so. It is a wise and effective way to work on ourselves. It is just very plain. I find this point very difficult for people, especially young people, to understand. On the other hand, it may seem as if I'm speaking of gradual attainment, and that's not so either. In fact, this is the sudden way, because when your practice is calm and ordinary, everyday life itself is enlightenment.
let's chant and end the Dharma talk and do three more bows. And after that, uh, we'll get into groups and I'll say something about that. But first, let's end the talk formally and bow. Thank <laughs> you.